Hey you guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are Zach and Krista Horton, the hosts of this podcast, and we are excited to be here today. Krista just asked me right before we started, wait, do we have something funny to say? We might have more new, or some new listeners. They need to know that we're funny. So I did not say they need to know that we're funny. Well, it's important to me that you know that we're funny. <laughs> um, so here, here we go. Here's my stand-up comedy. What's black and white and black and white and black and white and black and white? The rolling penguin or something. A penguin rolling down a hill. Oh, I, I... <laughs> What's black and white and laughing? The penguin that pushed him. Wow, they're really going to know your They're laughing right now. They, they are. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> yes, we're so funny. We're going to be funny every time. And But really why you're here, hopefully, is to listen about the scriptures and get you set up for the study, for your study this week. Um, I think that's kind of the frame that we've wanted to take each time we have done an episode for the last couple of years, is just helping you get set up for um, what you're going to be listening to and reading and studying with yourself or with your friends or your family. Um, so that's our hope. And we um, are usually excited to be here because that's the word that I say almost every week. Um, but we really are. We're grateful to be here and excited to be here and are just happy to have you along along with us. We are really excited this season for what we're learning as we study the Book of Mormon through this new lens of um, the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, and learning about and from the Lord, which we'll talk more about in this episode. Um, but we're also really excited that so many of you have reached out with your study insights. One of the things we want to do more this season is is expand the voice of the community. We have so many people that listen and participate, and we want you to hear each other's voices. So uh, just a couple of comments that people have put on Instagram from things they're learning about the Lord from the Book of Mormon. So this is from, I think it's Audriel Kington. Um, and she says, I love the shift in mindset. I recognize the Lord is building there, meaning Nephi and Lamech, Lemuel and Sam, building their confidence and teaching them that he is trustworthy, which will then give them confidence to do the next thing he asks. It's a pattern I've been keenly aware of in my life. An awesome insight about what the, we're learning about the Lord, not just Nephi and Sam and Laman and Lemuel, but we're learning about the Lord that's commanding them and moving them. Yeah, I'm going to read another one here from Sarah Ormsby. And these are just Instagram names, so I'm sure we're saying the names wrong. <laughs> but um, what stands out to me, but she says, what stands out to me this time around is that the Lord trusts us to make our own decision. He, he offers us guidance, but is ultimately up to us to go and do. If we are listening to the Spirit, we will find that the Lord will always set us up for success. Uh, conscience Whisperings. I loved this perspective you offered in this episode of your podcast. As I've been engaged in my study, I've been looking for the hand of the Lord. Focusing my attention on Jesus Christ strengthens me and has offered me a breath of fresh air for my scripture study. And we're going to read one more. Um, we just have really been enjoying what people have been sharing. So um, one more from SureGood07. She says, what I noticed in this story is how God was in the details. Not only did he find Laban passed out, he had his sword on him, making it so Nephi could do as he was told. And then as he's wandering through this house, courtyard, that he probably is not at all familiar with, he finds Zoram, the very servant in charge of the treasury. And he was able to talk to him in a way that made Zoram believe he was Laban. Not just in a voice, but in context too. 
the Lord thought of everything. Um, that's just so fun to hear what insights you guys are gaining. We gained so much from that. And like Zach said, not only bringing guests on the podcast this year, but also um, we would love to have a little more of your voices too. Um, comment, commenting on Instagram is great. If you want us to share something specific, you can send us a message through Instagram, um, an email, Facebook, however you want to do that. Or there's also ways um, on Instagram you can send voice messages and maybe we can put your voice on the podcast. We would love that. Kind of fun. In fact, I'll mention our, our email, scripturestudyproject at gmail.com. Um, you can send us like an MP3 of your voice. Um, you can send us one of those voice messages on Instagram and we'll figure out how to get on the podcast. We'd love to hear from you in addition to your written comments, which we can read. And um, I, I don't know if we'll be able to get to everyone's, but we'll really try and do more of that at the beginning of the podcast so that you can hear from each other. Yeah, as we study through looking for how the Lord is at work in these people's lives in the Book of Mormon. Okay. This episode is kind of part two. Uh, last week was the the vision of the tree of life, Lehi's vision of the tree of life. Um, and then this week carries on with that vision. And you know the story that Nephi hears what his father says and then uh, wants to have his own experience. And then chapters 10 through 14 of that experience. Then chapter 15, he kind of teaches his brothers a little bit. Or chapter 11 through 14, sorry. But I found something as I was reading this week that caught my attention, especially as we're looking through this new lens of finding the Lord in the scriptures. Verse 17 is where Nephi says, about halfway through the verse, I, Nephi, was desirous also that I might see and hear and know the things which my father prophesied. And I had always assumed that Nephi wanted to see, hear, and know what his father had explained in his vision. So Lehi says, I saw a vision of the tree of life. And Nephi says, I want to see that same thing which is part of his motivation, but it's not the only part of his motivation. Beginning of verse 17, came to pass that after I, Nephi, having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in the vision, and also the things which he spake by the power of the Holy Ghost, and what he's referencing there is what Nephi, or what Lehi prophesied in chapter 10. So back to verse 4. Yea, even 600 years from the time that my father left Jerusalem, a prophet would the Lord God raise up among the Jews, even a Messiah, or in other words, a savior of the world. And he also spoke concerning the prophets and how great a number testified of these things concerning this Messiah of whom, he sh of whom should be spoken, or this redeemer of the world. Wherefore, all mankind were in a lost and in a fallen state and ever would be save they should rely on this Redeemer. It's that testimony, in addition to the vision, that motivates Nephi to go to the Lord himself. And I love that frame because it helps us understand that this vision that Nephi sees, just like the one that Lehi sees, is not just a picture. It's a testimony. It's meant to uh, imbue Nephi with an understanding of who the Lord is and to inspire his heart to greater love and obedience to that Lord, and then help him see what that Lord, what that God has been doing through all of history. You know, that's what I really felt as I studied these chapters, is and listened to what Nephi was receiving from this angel and what they were conversing about was just that vastness of God's love. That it's so big and so great. Um, he takes him all through history. He starts at the beginning and he shows him all of these ways and really showing him the hand of God in all of, at work 
in all of these people's lives and not only in the lives of people but in in the history of the world both great and small um, and I think that's such a beautiful thing I think that's one of the things that has um, maybe come to me over the last couple years as I've really um, dug into the scriptures for me personally and because of this podcast too but just that idea that um, God is vast is a better word than big but sometimes I just like to say big like he sees the bigger picture and he is in the details he's in our lives and that's what the scriptures are there to show us that history of who he is and how he works and the greatness of his love I wish people could see your hands because as you were describing this God is big and your hands are out here pointing to you know the rest of our bedroom (laughs) but then as you said he's out there but he's also in here touching your heart and so the story of the Book of Mormon is both. It's look at God at work in the history of the world. Look at how he's moved nations and peoples and countries. But it's also this really intimate record of look at God in Nephi's personal life. Look at God in Jacob's life. Look at God in Enos's life. Look at God in Moroni's life. And I love that in both places, the macro view of the world and the micro view of the world, we see God loving his children. Of course, you'd have to show me up on your macro and micro. I'm over here. It's really big. I did take macro and micro (laughs) economics in college. I'll remember to say that next time. That sounds a lot more fancy. (laughs) So here's what we want to study with you this, uh, this episode. As Nephi goes to the Lord in chapter 11, of course, he's greeted by this angel that serves as somewhat his tour guide through this vision. And one of the things he asks right up front is the angel asks him, Nephi, what do you desire? And Nephi says, I want to know the interpretation of the dream. I want to know what the tree means. Obviously, he does, because Lehi's description of the fruit is it's desirable above all that's desirable, sweeter above all that's sweet, filled my soul with incomprehensible joy. And so uh, the angel shows Nephi this tree, asks him, do you know the meaning of the tree? And then the famous phrase in verse 17, Nephi says, I know that God loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. I have no idea what the tree means. And so the angel then shows in this, verse 18, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God, after the manner of the flesh. And it came to pass that I beheld that she was carried away in the spirit. And after she had been carried away in the spirit for the space of a time, the angel spake unto me, saying, Look. And I looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, Behold the Lamb of God, even the Son of the Eternal Father. And then he asks, seemingly uh, unconnected from this vision, Knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? Doesn't tell him anything, just shows him this this birth. And Nephi is able to answer. I said to him, Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men, wherefore it is the most desirable of all things. And the angel adds, yea, and the most joyous to the soul. In other words, the whole center of this vision is the love of God as manifested by the birth of Jesus Christ and his condescension and ministry to the people. We often get fixated on that, which is a wonderful vision, but... There's a whole second half to chapter 11, and there's chapter 12, and there's chapter 13, and there's chapter 14, all of which are meant to do the same thing, to show God's love through all of history to all of his children. And so the question we want to ask as we study this week is, 
what evidences of God's love do you see in 11, 12, 13, and 14, and maybe even 15? And do any of those evidences, do any of those examples of God's love seem connected to things you've experienced in your own life? Can you look at what he's done in history and say, yeah, he's actually done that for me too? Well, first of all, I just have to add in, um, maybe to piggyback off of what I was saying earlier in that verse 22 that Zach read, um, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Maybe coming back to my hand signals, like it's abroad, it's all over, but it's in our hearts too. Um, that that is the beauty of seeing God's love is that you really can see it all over um, and feel it down in our hearts. And it is the most joyous. I think this is really cool. Something I've noticed as I've been studying this way is the more specific I get about seeing the Lord's character and his personality and the evidences of his love, meaning can I, can I learn about the Lord, not just that he's good or that he's loving or that he's kind, but can I learn some specifics about his personality? He likes to do this instead of this. He often does this. This is how he accomplishes this. I've noticed that when I boil down the specifics of his character and his nature, I'm able to see him in my life much easier. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we learned about uh, God preparing a way for his children to obey commandments. And in our life, our family life, over the past couple of weeks, we have seen evidences of God preparing ways for us that are kind of different, very different from what we would have thought for ourselves. Um, and so it makes us able to go, hey, that's God doing that. We know that's the kind of person that he is. And look at him doing for us what he did for Nephi. Yeah, he really is. He really is all over when we're looking for him. And especially when we look in those details. I love that thought. Um well, we can't not start with just this. What is God's love? It's that he sent his son. Um, and Zach already read the verses about the birth um, and that Jesus would come forth. But I want to talk about or read to you, starting in verse 31. The angel spake unto me again and said, Look, and I looked, and I beheld the Lamb of God going forth among the children of men. And I beheld multitudes of people who were sick, and who were afflicted with all manner of diseases, and with devils and unclean spirits, and the angel spake and showed all these things unto me. And they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God, and the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. Um, if we know over and over that that is God's greatest gift to us, is that he sent his Son. And I love the phrase that um, that is his love. It's the Lamb of God going forth among the children of men. He sent Jesus Christ here to do exactly this. What is his love? Um, is that he went around the sick, those who were afflicted with all manner of diseases, with devils and unclean spirits. Um, and that's us. That's what we feel. That's We've all been in any of those. We could all fall into any of those categories. And maybe I'm being too general with that, but I can definitely thinking of personal experiences where I have fallen into those categories, and you can too. Um, and that is God's love then he heals us by the power of the Lamb of God. And um, for me, on a very broad level, and as I read the New Testament last year again, that you really felt that, um, and that's who Jesus Christ is, is he is a manifestation of God's love on that grand scale that he came and did all those things, but on a very intimate personal scale that he heals us um, in any manner of afflictions that we have. It's It's... It's, I don't know, it's cool to learn about his personality that he's drawn 
to people that are sick or injured or sad or downtrodden. That's part of his personality. He's the kind of person that walking down the street, his eyes naturally find people who are in need of help or comfort or companionship. And so when we feel like we belong in those categories, like you're saying, um, we should be able to look for the presence of the Lord in our life even more readily than we feel it at other times because that's the kind of person he is. He likes, he, he loves to serve and help and lift. And so when we're feeling down, we can see him. I love that. The one that I found um, is in chapters 13 and 14. Uh, there's this vision that Nephi sees, oh, starting in chapter 13, but he, but he explains it in chapter 14, verse 10. Um, this is the angel speaking to Nephi after he's seen what he's seen. Behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God, belongeth to that great church, which is the mother of abominations, and she is the whore of all the earth. In these two chapters, there's a lot of uh, description of the church of the devil. So chapter 13 it describes that church of the devil. Um, verse 5, it's the most abominable of all the churches. It slays the saints of God. It tortures them and brings them down and yokes them with the yoke of iron and brings them into captivity. It's the great and abominable church. It's headed by the devil. It's focused on gold and silver and the accumulation of wealth. And um, that's the church of the devil. And then, of course, the church of the Lamb is wonderfully described in chapter 14, um, verse 12. came to pass that I beheld the church of the Lamb of God. Its numbers were few because of the wickedness and abominations of the whore who sat upon the waters. Nevertheless, I beheld that the church of the Lamb, who were the saints of God, were also upon all the face of the earth, and their dominions upon the face of the earth were small because of the wickedness of the great whore whom I saw. Verse 14, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with power of God in great glory. Um, now, I think the reason I fixated on this was a couple of things. One, it's kind of a hot-button topic for me. I've, I've, I've heard, and I know there have been even some things taught in church history past, where we have pointed fingers at specific other churches um, and labeled them the church of the devil or the whore of all the earth. Uh, the best, I think, description of what is the church of the devil is in the Come, Follow Me curriculum this week, and it's President Oaks who says... The great and abominable church, described by Nephi, represents any philosophy or organization that opposes belief in God, and the captivity into which this church seeks to bring the saints will not be so much physical confinement as the captivity of false ideas. Um, I've heard it described, in other words, anyone that fights against the Lamb of God, and the, Nephi gives that description. Um, and the reason why I get fired up about this is because the church of the devil is not other Christian churches. Um, it just isn't. Uh, you listening out there, you have friends who belong to other, other faith traditions, whether they're Christian or not, and you know that at their core they are good people. They love whatever name they give to God. They love him, they worship him, and they want to help other people have good lives. So when we're talking about the church of the devil, we are not talking about people out there um, that belong to other denominations. 
The reason why I love that insight is because it shows me that God, one of the things about him that you learn is uh, that vastness. He works through anybody who is willing. Of course, he works through the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I know that he has called prophets and apostles who have authority to teach the mind and the will of God. I know the Book of Mormon is true. But just because I know that he's working through this church does not preclude him from working through other members of other churches or other people and other groups and other organizations. Anytime something good is happening that's bringing people to closer to God or helping them have a better life, God's at the helm of that. And of course he is. He's an all-powerful, all-knowing being. His work is not just confined to one small denomination. I think it can be spread worldwide. Um, as I was, we were talking about this before, we just watched the Netflix movie, uh, The Two Popes. I don't know if anyone has seen it. Oh, I'm glad you brought this up. Was we <laughs> loved it. I, I love the actors in it, and I love that period of, of Catholic church history. It's really fascinating to me. Um, but I love the depiction of that. Of here you have these two individuals, both of whom have been Pope of the Catholic Church, and their love for God and their love for the people of the world. And it was evident to me as we watched that, and I've done some other studies on it, but it's evident to me as I've studied Christian history, um, there have been so many millions, if not billions of people that have loved God and sought to do his will in the history of the world. And I love feeling like I'm in community with them as we're all trying to come closer to the Savior and make the world a better yeah, place. Yeah, and you've, you've mentioned specifically the Christian religions, but I would even say further than that, you know, the anyone doing good is doing good. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a passion of ours is just um, recognizing the good that can come from other um, religions and other good people out there, whether or not they're religious. But that, I mean, got to talk about that movie again. It's just, um, we were really touched and moved just to see um, the love. I, I guess that I'm getting a little teary about it. The the love of God that was pouring from these good men who are certainly inspired um, and certainly doing some doing a great work. Um, and I think that as we see um, how big God is, um, I think that we can really recognize that goodness in so many places. And uh, it, I mean, Nephi does describe that this Church of the Lamb, the numbers are few and they're under attack, which is true. Religiosity, spirituality, um, morality are definitely under attack and numbers are dwindling. But I love that promise in verse 14 that the power of the Lamb of God descends upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord. They're armed with righteousness and power and great glory. God wants to empower us, any one of us that wants to help. He wants to empower us to make the world a better place and to help and serve each other. I think I bring this up every time. It's part of <laughs> any part of scripture. But that's how important I think it is, and it shows up a lot. So obviously I'm not the only one that thinks it's important. But um, wanted to bring up this point. This is in chapter 13, 38. And it came to pass that I beheld the remnant of the seed of my brethren, and also the book of the Lamb of God, which had proceeded forth from the mouth of the Jew. And it came forth from the remnant, from the Gentiles, unto the remnant of the seed of my brethren. And after it had come forth unto them, I beheld other books, which came forth by the power of the Lamb. Um, and here we see again this, he's seeing in a vision, the book of the Lamb of God. 
and other books which came forth by the power of the Lamb of God. Another plug for just how important it is to have the scriptures. And another point in what we're answering the question today is that God's love is manifest in, in the scriptures. Um, that's how we learn about him. That's how we see what he's doing. That's how people over the history of thousands of years have, keep, have kept track of what God has done in their lives. And the beauty of what that can do for us as we study them, what we brought up before, that vastness of who he is is, is evidenced in the scriptures. And then on that level of who we are inside of us that we get to learn on this very personal level um, through the scriptures. And we talk about a lot, right? That we can receive what revelation through the scriptures, that not necessarily what we read is exactly what we're going to get an answer to or feel God speaking to us. Um, but, and that in of itself makes me think, when we read the scriptures, God's love is there, whether or not it's something specific to the scriptures, or maybe it's just us showing God that we love him enough that we want him to give us his love. So does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Well, I love that. Again, what do we learn about his nature, his character, his personality? God works through words. Uh, when Jesus was on the earth, he healed through words. And the way that he touches us is through words, these mm -hmm. recorded words in scripture. And the words that come to us through promptings and feelings as we're reading them is the way that he works miracles in our lives. Yeah, the importance of the records. I mean, we're going to be reading this as we go throughout the Book of Mormon, but I love some of the most tender um, experiences that we have in the Book of Mormon are when the prophets talk about how they diligently and how hard they work to preserve and write and protect the records. And that just is another evidence of God's love inspiring his prophets to really um, see the importance of, of writing down and preserving these records for us today. Well, and maybe this can be our concluding thought. That verse 39 that you read, there's a word there that I noticed um, that I've started to notice is happens in conjunction a lot when we read about the Lord. Um, these other books that go forth from the Lamb of God, from the Gentiles unto them, unto the convincing of the Gentiles and the remnant of the seed of my brethren and also the Jews, uh, that Jesus is the Christ. And then verse four, or chapter 14, it's again, this is verse 7. For the time cometh, saith the Lamb of God, that I will work a great marvelous work among the children of men, a work which shall be everlasting either on the one hand or on the other hand, either to the convincing of them unto peace and eternal life or unto their deliverance to eternal damnation. But that word convincing uh, captured my attention because in chapter 5, that's the story that plays out. Nephi goes back after this vision to his brothers. They're disputing about what it means. And of course, he asks them, have you inquired of the Lord? And they say, no, he maketh no such things known unto us, which infuriates Nephi because Nephi's just got done seeing this vision where God is trying to convince people through words or through miracles or through history or through prophets or through angels. He'll do whatever it takes to convince you that he loves you. And I love that truth about him. Not only is it true that he loves us, it's true that he wants to convince us that he loves us. And so Nephi teaches that to his brothers. And then at the very end of the chapter, verse 36, he gives this final description of the tree of life, whose fruit is most precious and most desirable above all other fruits. Yea, it is the greatest of all the gifts of God. And thus I spake to my brethren. Amen. 
um, as you study this week, knowing that God wants to convince you that he loves you, look for not just evidence in the scriptures, look for evidence in your own life. What do you see happening in your study of the Book of Mormon that you also see happening in your life that proves to you that God loves you and he wants to take care of you? Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget, if you find some of these things and would love to share them, we would love to share them here as well. So thank you, and we hope that you have a great week. Bye.